Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. The challenges of 2020. Well, we're almost done with the year, but this has been quite an interesting uh, situation given coronavirus and some of the adaptations that we've all had to make to deal with trying to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe during the pandemic. Today, we are talking with Dr. Kamal Masaki. She is a geriatric specialist at University Health Partners of Hawaii, formerly known as USERA. And she's also on faculty, the chair of the Department of Geriatric Medicine at John Burns School of Medicine. So thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Now, geriatricians are fellowship specialty trained doctors who take care of those who might be over certain age groups like 65. Do we have enough of these specialists here in the islands? I know that, you know, I'm in internal medicine, probably about half of my patients are over 65, but there are some unique aspects of what you do that may not be something that every other primary care doctor may have expertise in. What is the current status of geriatrics here in the islands? Yeah, thank you. That's a very interesting question, Cassie. So geriatrics is currently considered a critical shortage specialty by the federal government. And Hawaii is no different from other states. We have a major shortage of geriatricians, even though we have one of the larger fellowship programs in the country here. We've had almost 200 graduates to date, and almost half of them have stayed in Hawaii or in the Pacific region. So Hawaii is a little bit better off than other states, but still there is such a shortage of geriatricians. So what I tell people, many people approach me and say, I just turned 65, should I get a geriatrician? And what I tell them is in an ideal world, yes, uh, all older people would have a geriatrician. But because there's such a shortage, we currently reserve geriatric services for people who are in extreme old age, you know, people in the 80s and 90s. The field of geriatrics actually began in Great Britain, interestingly, uh, and uh, the United States followed a little bit later than that. So I would say the field really began to emerge in the 1980s. In fact, many of the fellowships didn't even exist then. Our fellowship program started in 1986, and we were one of the earlier fellowships uh, to start. In, in the past, we did have people who had interest in these conditions of old age and who kind of gravitated towards older patients by interest. Over the years, I think people have realized that there are some skills that are needed to take care of older patients better. We want to make sure we listen to them about what matters to them and we take their priorities and preferences into consideration. We want to make sure that we watch their medications. We know that medications can be really helpful to older people, but can also have major side effects. So we want to watch that. We want to look at things like mobility, independence. That's very important for quality of life for older people. And we also want to think about things like cognition, memory, whether people are depressed. So we want to look at the whole person and make sure that we're taking care of all aspects of older people, not just one particular organ system. So in the 
when, when the specialty began, basically there are two ways to become a geriatrician. One is through the field of internal medicine, and the other one is through the field of family medicine. So when people graduate the four years of medical school, then they have to do a three-year residency training in either family medicine or internal medicine, and then they can choose to do one year of subspecialty training in geriatrics to become board certified. And those who are interested in academics and research actually do more than that. They often do a fellowship for two years or even sometimes three years. Never-ending training. Well, it's good. Yes, that's right. There's there's a lot for people to learn, and I sort of, I, I think we're all getting older. You know, unfortunately, it's a terminal condition. We were all hopefully live long enough to reach those extreme ages, and it's nice to know that there are some folks that are specially being trained to address some of those issues. I know you mentioned one of the focuses is identifying the priority of the individual, because the way you might treat a medical condition like cancer could be different in a 60-year-old than a 90-year-old. And part of that may have to do with patient preference, the patient's ability to tolerate the treatments, but also all those other aspects you thought you talked about, cognition, their mental status, their independence, their mobility. It really does require a little bit of a shift from this is what all you all patients should do to this is what is unique to your circumstance. So definitely a challenging field, and I give you a lot of credit for embarking on this particular area and also training the next generation of doctors who will be my geriatrician if, if I'm lucky enough someday. Yeah, well, thank you, Kathy. I think the thing we all share in common is we really love our older patients. I always tell students who ask me, should I consider a, a going into the field of geriatrics, I always tell them there's only one thing we cannot teach you, and that's how to like older people. We can teach you all the knowledge and skills, but you have to have that love of older people in your heart. And many of us who have gone into the field had major influences in our life from when we were children, whether it be grandparents or great uncles or aunts, but there were some older people in our lives who we loved spending time with. And I still love hearing the stories, and the wisdom that my older patients have to share with me. Well, and there's always something that they have a different perspective on life. Maybe they've been through challenges or with that retro retrospectoscope, they can look back on their lives and say, you know, you think it's a big deal now, but, you know, later on, this will not be the big struggle that you think it is. I think there is such wisdom to be had in people who have that level of experience. Now, during this pandemic, at the same time that we are dealing with a lot of struggles for people, there have also been a huge number of issues that have really come about with our older patients, with some of the folks who are at highest risk of being hospitalized and having adverse effects from an infection with coronavirus. What are some of the struggles that you've heard about in your practice and with your with your residents that that are unique to this pandemic? What what has changed? Yeah, this has been a very challenging time for older people. So we know nationally that even though the we know that a lot of people have contracted the disease, COVID, and in younger people, most of the time, they tend to have a relatively mild illness, although all of us have heard of young people even who've had very serious illness and having been passed away. But the mortality rate is clearly disproportionate 
and people over the age of 65 had borne, have borne a big brunt of this disease, particularly in regards to very severe illness, hospitalizations, being on ventilators, and even dying from the illness. And this is particularly true in long-term care settings, in nursing homes and care homes, where people are living close to each other, and it's very easy for infections to spread because they have they do things together, they eat together, they socialize, they do activities together. And so that has been a really difficult situation. When COVID first hit in March, all the nursing homes completely shut down and shut down all visitation. And even to this day, many of them have very, very limited visitation. And I think it makes sense from an infection control perspective, but it has been very hard on older people particularly in these long-term care settings, because they relied on having family. Often they, the thing they look forward to most was having grandkids visit. And now they've had very limited visitation. We try and encourage very much to do other means of communication, like video communication and telephone communication. But as you know, just as well as I do, it's not the same. It's very different hugging your loved ones and talking to them on a screen. But unfortunately, that's what people have had to do. And it has led to a lot of loneliness and depression and anxiety uh, among the entire population. But I think the older population has been particularly hard hit. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Dr. Kamal Masaki on what are some of the ways that we can help reach out to our loved ones who might be in these situations of lockdowns or not able to see their family very often. How can we all help? And what are some lights at the end of the tunnel that hopefully will occur soon to keep everybody safe and protected? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, the Kahala Hotel and Resort, and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and Dr. Kamal Misaki is on the line. She is the head of and chair of the Department of Geriatric Medicine at John Burns School of Medicine and also a practicing geriatrician at University Health Partners of Hawaii. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the struggles that our seniors have had, some of the loneliness and depression that all of us may have felt during the coronavirus pandemic, but in particular, some of the older patients who may not have the technological capabilities to reach out to their loved ones have really suffered quite a bit during this pandemic. Now, Dr. Misaki, I know, boy, for Christmas, you know, my, my husband set up a Zoom call with some of the people that would have come to a Christmas dinner. And they were, you know, his stepmother and her friends and a couple of other folks, her daughter and son-in-law. And, you know, at first I thought, really, a Zoom call? But then in reality, it turned out to be a great opportunity for people just to see one another's faces, to just have that ability to visually interact. It did require a little bit of a technology barrier to overcome. But I think sometimes we underestimate how nice it is just to see somebody, just to visually see them in addition to talking with them on the phone. I know that a lot of the care facilities have tried their best to keep the residents safe. 
it's it's one thing that we can do is some type of video interface. What are some other creative ways that we can help reduce the loneliness of some of our friends and loved ones who might be isolated in facilities? Yeah, I think video conferencing Particularly in long-term care, even if the older person doesn't know how to use technology, the staff have been really good. And the staff have iPads or other devices that they can take from room to room. They sanitize them, of course, between rooms. But they can arrange for video calls for people to, uh, to be able to actually see and visit with their loved ones virtually, if not in reality. I think another, you know, we all love to eat together, particularly here in Hawaii, right? Food is such a focal point of all our gatherings. Well, you may not be able to eat with your loved one, but maybe you can find out whether they'll allow you to drop off some favorite foods during the holidays so that at least they can get a little taste of home while doing a video call with you. I think uh, some people have been very creative, and I've heard of people who've actually done mahjong groups and bingo groups via Zoom. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but they tell me it's actually working. And they've had some laughs together getting it set up, but it has been working. So, yes, this is a good time for all of us to dig deep and get into our creative selves. Well, I'm in trouble if I have to get creative because I don't know how good I would be at that. But I will rely on my creative colleagues to help me out with that. Now, you know, The vaccine, it's out there. It's something that I hope becomes more available to anybody who wants to to get one. I've had the shot. Have you had the the vaccine? Yes, I was lucky that I was able to get it last week, my first dose. And, you know, a lot of people have some concerns about it. But I have to say, to me, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. This is what we've all been hoping for, to be able to protect those people who are you know, actively taking care of patients like yourself, those who are first responders in the communities, and those who are at highest risk. And you mentioned that the mortality rates of people who happen to be in group environments, long-term care settings, tends to be higher than that statistically than some of the younger folks who get exposed to coronavirus. What would be some of the advice you'd give to seniors who are interested in the shot but maybe a little concerned about whether or not they should do it? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot that we don't know about this disease. It's As everyone knows, this is a new disease. It's just been around for about a year. And, of course, the vaccine is a very, very new vaccine. It literally got FDA approved last month. So... There's a lot that we don't know about it. I actually did a journal club with my fellows this afternoon, just a couple of hours ago, where one of them presented a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine, which looked at the efficacy and safety of one of the vaccines. That has, that, that, that's actually the one that I took. And it was very reassuring to read that journal article and see that although there's a lot that's not known, there is a lot that's also known about it. The way I looked at it for myself is that I think the risk of COVID is greater than the risk of the vaccine. There's always risk to vaccines. Every vaccine has some risk, but I think that the risk of COVID is so much higher that I at least personally chose to take that vaccine, even though it's a relatively new one and even though there may be side effects we haven't heard of yet. 
Now, you mentioned that you just reviewed an article about the efficacy and the safety. What were some of the results? You know, I often tell folks that the trials that were done, they've only been started this year. So we do know Mm -hmm. there's only a limited amount of information we have about the vaccine. But there were lots of people who have already received it. I know for the Pfizer and Moderna shot, we were looking at trials that had at least 30,000, 40,000 people who received it, and they were followed for several weeks, if not months. So to me, that number of folks, in addition to those who have gotten it since it's been made available, really helped me to feel a little bit more confident about the fact that the immediate side effects might, you know, there are reports of allergies for people who have severe allergies or limited amounts of negative impact from the vaccination in the short term. But it at least made me feel a little more comfortable that it was a fairly safe vaccine and that, you know, so far we've heard pretty good efficacy. What were your thoughts on that? I felt exactly the same way as you, Kathy. Uh, the efficacy was very good. It was about 95% efficacious, which is an amazing rate for a vaccine. You know, we were all, we were all, I think we would have been happy with even lower rates. We were thrilled when we heard that it was 95% effective. The side effects that I saw that were reported were mostly what I call nuisance-type side effects. You know, they were mild. They were things that might bother you for a day or two, uh, but really not very severe ones. So the really serious side effects are fortunately very few and far between. And again, you have to weigh that with the risk of getting COVID and knowing that this is a deadly disease and it particularly affects people who are older and who have pre-existing health conditions. So for those people in particular... If I was them, I would definitely take the vaccine. In fact, as I said, I did choose to take the vaccine because I thought that the benefits by far outweighed the risks. Well, you and I are in agreement on that. Now, what are some of the other ways that we can, even for those who have had the vaccine or or hopefully will get it soon, there are some other things they can do to stay safe. I know that a lot of the nursing homes have done a great job of trying to, unfortunately, isolate. But again, from as you mentioned, from an infection standpoint, good to isolate those who are not infected from those who might be in a care facility that are infected to try and avoid any cross-contamination or exposure. What are some other things that folks who might be seniors independent living in their own home can do? Is there any sort of extra type of thing that they can look at to try and protect themselves, maybe avoid having family gatherings or limit their exposure to people not in their immediate household? Yes, and I think even when the vaccine is taken by these people, I would hope that they would continue to do all of those things. So wearing masks, remaining distant from people who are not in your immediate household, not going to large gatherings, uh, washing your hands frequently, you know, sort of limiting your contact with people. Even when you have to do things, you know, try and limit the amount of time when you have to do chores or whatever, try and limit the amount of time and limit the amount of contact that you have with other people. When we go shopping, we've been doing a lot of you know, sort of delivery to our trunk type of shopping. And then if we do go into the store, we try and keep it to a minimum and we try and do a lot of online ordering and things like that. I'm going to continue to do all of those things, even though I have been vaccinated, because there's still community spread out there and we all have to keep other people safe as well. I love the idea of delivery to my car, I have to say. 
I'm a guilty, guilty uh, offender on that. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Masaki about the idea of Kapuna hours. How did we not think about this before? And what are some other ways that we can all keep ourselves safe and keep our loved ones safe as we head into the new year? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Kamal Masaki on the line. She is a geriatrician at University Health Partners of Hawaii, and she is on the faculty and chair of the Department of Geriatric Medicine at John Burns School of Medicine. Right before the break, we were talking about ways that seniors, even living independently, can stay safe. And I have a funny story to share about Kapuna hours. I have to tell you, Dr. Mazaki, I had this very young-looking woman come into my office. She was 81, and she was quite upset. And she said that she went to Kapuna Hours, and one of the clerks asked her if she was a Kapuna. And I looked at her and I said, I would be so delighted. You just got carded at Kapuna Hours. I'm like, I would be, you're 81. I mean, the fact that somebody thought you were too young to go to Kapuna Hours, you should be delighted. And this woman left my office with a totally different outlook on the fact that she got carded as being a Kapuna. It sounds like such a great idea, just allowing the store to have hours when people who are older can go and do their grocery shopping. And, you know, they can be super mindful of their wearing a mask and six feet of distance and first ones into the store that's been hopefully sanitized the night before. You know, it almost makes me wonder, how did we not think of this before? I agree. I think whatever we can do to help our older population stay independent, stay safe, uh, I think that's wonderful. I think Hawaii actually tends to be more friendly to the older population than other places. I think it's partly our culture here is very much respect for our kupuna. And so I think it does extend to uh, various places like stores and other things, but I do encourage it greatly. Now, what about seniors who want to have medical care done? You know, a lot of folks... They say they want to come in, they want to see their doctor, they want to make sure that they can have their care provided. You know, it almost makes me wonder, should we have Kapuna hours in our doctor offices? And I, I think the answer to that might just be yes. But what are some, are there certain things that people who are over the age of 65, what do they definitely need to take care of? When should they make sure to get checked out by their doctor? Because, you know, they may be doing a great job trying to isolate and stay at home. Are there ways that they can continue with their care even if they can't come to the office? Oh, absolutely. So one very amazing effect of this pandemic has been the rise of telemedicine. And uh, I, it existed many years before the pandemic, but somehow it didn't catch on in, with a lot of people, and not, not even with a lot of doctors. And then I think when we were forced into the shutdown, many physicians turned to telemedicine, where they could actually either do telephone calls or even better, video calls with their patients. And there's so many things that can be taken care of really well with a telemedicine visit. So when people ask me, should I do a telemedicine visit or an in-person visit, I always tell them it depends on the situation. For certain patients, telemedicine visits might be just fine. 
And, you know, they can monitor their blood pressure, their diabetes at home, share the numbers with the doctor, get advice via video conference, and that might be enough. For other patients, they might need to actually go into the physician. So I would say check with your own physician to find out what's best for you for your particular situation. Well, and I certainly would agree with that. I found a couple of interesting areas of telemedicine that, you know, like you said, all the doctors sort of got forced to do it. And I've never... I've never actually had to witness the number of weird faces that I make when I talk with people until I started doing telemedicine. And then I realized that, you know, I do not have a poker face, I'll tell you that much. But uh, it's also been interesting even just to get to view people's homes and understand their living arrangements and their environment and have an opportunity to sort of be welcomed into their their house. It's it's a different experience. You know, I almost feel like it's the old Dr. Marcus Welby coming to your house, the house visit. It's actually the 21st century home visit, you know, and patients don't have to leave their home. And home visits can be so valuable for older patients. We know that, you know, to actually go in and see, to do a home safety evaluation. You know, are there things that people can trip over? Are there fall risks? Is there poor lighting? Are there things that can be dangerous for older people? So home visits are really wonderful for the geriatric population. And you're right, the video conference can substitute a little bit. Another thing we found is we can often include family members in the video conference. So we've included sometimes family members who maybe live on the mainland who would never be able to come to the visit, but now maybe they can join into a video visit. It's a video trio. I can't yeah. say I've had that that experience yet, but what a great idea, you know, because they might be on the phone. Now they could actually be on video and they could see my weird faces or they could have <laughs> yes, an opportunity exactly. to, to see what's going on with their loved one. It's a whole That's, new dynamic. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said, there are some conditions that may require somebody to be seen by their provider. So always checking with your doctor to make sure that the particular condition you have can be addressed on a video visit is ideal. Uh, the other, and, and we don't have a lot of time, and this is such a long discussion, but if it isn't done, advanced directives, I plead people to seriously think about what they want in their end of life, because that's something that I think, particularly now when there's a pandemic, it it is something we need to look at, having that discussion with our loved ones and really deciding how we want to proceed is something that... You know, it's it's just oh, as important as anything else. Oh, I completely agree. And to be honest, it should not be reserved for just older people. An advanced healthcare director, every adult should do it. I did mine when I was very young and very healthy because I knew how important it was. It was actually when I started my geriatric medicine fellowship. That's when I first did my advanced directive. If people are not sure about how to get a form for an advanced directive, there's a really wonderful website. It's called kokuamau.org. And they can go in there and they have a lot of resources, including blank advanced directive forms that can be used, that can be downloaded from that website. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to share your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. And I hope you have a safe and happy holidays with your family. 
You too. And all of those listeners, really, I want to make sure everybody stays safe for the new year. Thanks to Dr. Kamal Masaki, geriatric specialist, University Health Partners of Hawaii, and the chair of the Department of Geriatric Medicine at John Byrne School of Medicine. Thanks for all that you do and for all that you are going to help the rest of us to do to stay safe. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show.